Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. So when Jesus made provision for handing on the faith, you'll note that he didn't say anything about composing a New Testament. He didn't say anything about a canon of biblical text. He actually gave us a living institutional authority. He named the apostles and said, go into all nations and teach them everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Mm -hmm. So the primary way that the believer comes to authoritative knowledge about Jesus is through the church that he founded. Not not uniquely or primarily through texts, but through the living voice of the Catholic Church that stands in a direct 2,000-year continuity with the person of Jesus. Now, the Catholic Church, in turn, promulgated the texts of the Bible as an inspired witness to the life of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets and so forth. And so it's, it's there for our edification and for our life of prayer and our life of liturgy. Uh, but it's basically authorized by the authority of the Catholic Church. St. Augustine, great uh, famous theologian of the 4th century, said, I would not have believed the gospel, and he's talking about the biblical texts mm-hmm. here. He says, I would not have believed the gospel, but for the authority of the Catholic Church. That is Roman Catholic apologist Dr. David Anders, host of Called to Communion. Now, are those claims true that Jesus didn't leave us a book, he left us a church? Is it true that Augustine said that, well, in essence, the church determines what the canon of Scripture is. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Our series, Responding to Roman Catholic Proof Text, continues answering those questions. Dr. Stephen Parks is our guest. He's Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Concordia University, Irvine, California. Dr. Parks, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Todd. Always grateful. More generally, why does the Roman Catholic Church have to make this claim that, in essence, the Church establishes the authority of Scripture rather than the other way around? Yeah, I think that they think, logically speaking, that if the Church is the mechanism that tells us what Scripture is, then likewise the Church needs to be the mechanism that tells us what those Scriptures mean. So that if the church establishes the canon, the church also establishes the meaning of those canonical books. So that ultimately, really what it comes down to is listening to the church tell you what scripture is, as well as what scripture means. So that in reality, everything ultimately comes down to the authority of the church within Catholic theology. When we say the canon of scripture, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking especially about those books which we believe that God has inspired. Canon comes from a word that means like rule or even a measuring rod. And the idea is uh, we need a rule or a measuring rod by which to determine what we should believe. And so the ancient church used that term canon in terms of applying the term to the texts that God himself had inspired in order to reveal to us what it is that he wanted the church to believe and to teach and to confess on an ongoing basis. Those things especially indirectly, which he himself inspired. Let's deal with the particular claim about St. Augustine before we go on to respond to the broader claim. Did St. Augustine teach 
that, in essence, the church establishes the authority and the canon of Scripture? Yeah, it's a very good question. Let me let me read to you the actual citation that Dr. Anders was referring to there, and then we can kind of break it down a little bit. So it actually comes from one of Augustine's works called the Epistle uh, Against, rather, the Epistle of Manichaeus called Fundamental. And it's from chapter 5, and here's what Augustine says. For my part, I should not believe the gospel except as moved by the authority of the Catholic Church. So when those on whose authority I have consented to believe in the gospel tell me not to believe in Manichaeus, how can I but consent? Take your choice. If you say, believe the Catholics, their advice to me is to put no faith in you, so that believing them, I am precluded from believing you. If you say, do not believe the Catholics, you cannot fairly use the gospel in bringing me to faith in Manichaeus, for it was at the command of the Catholics that I believed the gospel. Again, if you say you were right in believing the Catholics when they praised the gospel, but wrong in believing their vituperation of Manichaeus, do you think me such a fool as to believe or not to believe as you like or dislike without any reason? So the question here, I think, ultimately is what does Augustine mean here when he speaks about the authority of the Catholic Church? That term, Catholic, actually comes from a compound of a couple of words, but basically it simply means universal. It's very similar to the way in which we would use the term Christian today. And what Augustine here is speaking of is the fact that he came to know about the Gospels, he came to know about Christ through the instrumentality of the Church. In other words, it was the Church that pointed him to the Scriptures. And he's not talking here about the Pope. He's not talking here about councils. After all, he didn't go to Rome and visit with the Pope, nor was he present at councils when he came to exercise faith in the gospel. So what's he talking about? He's talking about congregations. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about the scriptures which were used in the church. And so he's kind of more or less describing the church as a herald, which points us to the gospel and can be an instrument or a means through which God points us to the scriptures, but he never says that we need to believe the scriptures based on the authority of a council or a pope. So he's in essence saying, I was brought to faith by the church that pointed me to holy scripture. Yeah, that's exactly it. He uses very, very similar language in other cases. For example, when he speaks about Judaism, for example, or the Jews, the Jewish prophets. So in addressing the same false teaching, which is Manichaeism, he says this in another work of his, which is a reply to Faustus the Manichaean. In book 13, chapter 4, he says this, In all his letters, Manichaeus begins thus, Manichaeus, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then Augustine asks Faustus, Why do you believe that Manichaeus says of Christ? What evidence does he give of his apostleship? This very name of Christ is known to us only from the Jews, who in their application of it to their kings and priests were not individually but nationally prophets of Christ and Christ's kingdom. What right has he to use the name who forbids you to believe the Hebrew prophets, that he may make you the heretical disciples of a false Christ as he himself is a false and heretical apostle. So he's pointing out here that we came as Christians to know about this Christ as a result of the ministry of the Jews who had been preaching it and teaching it and who delivered to us the scriptures. But just as he didn't believe that, for example, the Levitical priesthood was infallible, so too we come to become aware of the canonical scriptures and aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the church, but he nowhere indicates that that's an infallible authority or an infallible ministry. Now, Anders 
says, and this is a simplification, I think, of the bigger claim, but it's serviceable for us. Jesus didn't leave us a book. He left us a church. Namely, he left us apostles. Deal with that part of the, or at least that premise of the claim. Yeah, well, there's some truth to it in the sense that Jesus, of course, did establish the office of apostles, and he did give us apostles, and he gave them the command to go out and to preach and to teach. But the apostles had the authority of Jesus, and they had that authority whether they were preaching or teaching orally or whether they were writing. But the apostles were smart men. They knew that they couldn't be in all places at all times. And so when they weren't able to be somewhere in order to preach or to teach orally, they wrote. And they knew that they weren't going to be around forever. So Paul, for example, when he's writing to Timothy, talks about how he's about to be poured out as a drink offering. He knows he's about to be martyred. And so he writes to Timothy with whom he couldn't be present physically. The apostles know they're not going to be around forever, and they want their message to be perpetual. They want all people to have access to it in all times. And so they commit it to a lasting medium, a medium which can go beyond the apostles, namely a written medium. So that when we talk about the apostolic word today, we no longer have access to the oral preaching or the oral teaching of the apostles because they're no longer around to orally instruct us. What we do have is access to their written instruction so that when you want the apostolic word, there's only one place to turn to, and that's the Holy Scriptures. So how do we rightly understand the relationship between the apostles themselves and as the Lutheran confessions, we could even include the prophets here, and what the Lutheran confessions cite as the sole source of doctrine and teaching, the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. Right. So that's the idea here is, is that Jesus lodges his authority in the apostles. And as the apostles go about their ministry of preaching and teaching, they carry out their teaching in two different ways. One way orally when they're with specific individuals or in specific congregations or in specific regions. And when they're not able to be there in person, they write. And the idea is that the apostles aren't going to be around forever. We're not always going to have access to their oral preaching and teaching, and they're aware of this. So they actually write what it is that they were preaching and teaching. They commit their teaching to writing, which is to say to Scripture, so that when it comes to the teaching of either the prophets in the Old Testament or the apostles in the New Testament, we do exactly what Isaiah taught us to do which is to say, to the law and to the testimony, meaning to the written testimonies that are left for us by the prophets from the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. That is the word that is sure and certain, the word which never changes. Access to what the prophets taught in the Old Testament, access to what the apostles taught orally in the New Testament, isn't a lasting medium and therefore isn't a reliable one. The written medium, therefore, is the one we turn to, the scriptures. Now, the the Catholic contention here is that that apostolic authority survives the apostles in the form of the church. What are they talking about? Are they talking about the pastoral office? Or are they talking about the office of the papacy? Where is that apostolic authority for the Roman Catholic now, rather than in this kind of amorphous term, the church? Well, in many respects, they do sort of leave it amorphous, but I think ultimately they're going to look three places to find the the living apostolic authority. The first 
is in the office of the Bishop of Rome, especially when he makes what they call ex cathedra statements or these statements which they believe to be infallible. So not everything that the Pope says, according to Catholicism, is uh, is infallible. You know, if he's just giving a an interview or if he's talking to a specific part of the church, they don't consider everything that he says infallible. It's got to be one of these ex cathedra statements. So that would be one place. Another place would be in ecumenical councils. So they believe that you have those two, what they would call organs of infallibility, where you have the ex-cathedra statements of the Pope, as well as the canons and decrees of the council. The third is a little more amorphous, as you said, and that's the ordinary teaching authority of the magisterium. That can get a little sticky because the question is, well, what has the teaching authority of the magisterium established? And ultimately, they're going to have to go back to issues related to what the Pope says or what councils have said. So that one becomes a little more difficult to nail down. Dr. Stephen Parks is our guest. He's Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Concordia University, Irvine. We're talking about the canon of Scripture and its relationship to the Church. So where is that apostolic authority? Where is it now? Has it disappeared? This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Solid, serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're responding to Roman Catholic Proof Text with Dr. Stephen Parks, Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Concordia University, Irvine, California. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Learn about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Parks, if the apostolic authority does not reside in the magisterium of the church, where does it reside today? So apostolic authority now is in the scriptures because, again, the apostles aren't alive anymore. And when they appointed pastors, 
to take over in terms of the office of the ministry and the various churches that they established. Nobody believed that those pastors individually were infallible. So those men needed to be faithful to an external standard. In other words, they weren't simply believed because of the office that they held. The external standard to which they were called to be faithful was the apostolic word contained in the scriptures themselves. So that's the apostolic word, the apostolic teaching, which becomes the standard for all eras in the church. And now the only access that we have to that apostolic teaching is what we have recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture. So we have our doctrine of scripture alone or sola scriptura. Is that why, the, as I mentioned before, the Lutheran Confessions describe, they don't say the scriptures or the Bible, they say the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. Yeah, that's exactly it. They recognize that God is the ultimate and sole authority for Christians, and that he exercised that authority through prophets in the Old Testament and through apostles in the New Testament. And if you were alive to hear Isaiah or Jeremiah preached, you'd better listen to what they had to say. If you were alive to hear Peter or Paul preach orally, you'd better listen to what they say. But we aren't there. We didn't hear what Isaiah or Jeremiah said orally. We didn't hear what Peter or Paul had to say orally. What we do have is what they wrote. And God inspired the prophets and God inspired the apostles to write down their teaching in order to act as a perpetual rule of faith for all Christians in all places at all times. So that again, when we want to know what it is that we should believe, what it is we should teach, what it is that we should confess to a lost and dying world, we don't go to contradictory oral ideas that may or may not have some sort of truth behind them, but instead we go to the sure and certain word of Holy Scripture, which doesn't change and doesn't contradict itself. You mentioned this a moment ago by referencing Isaiah, but I think a key retort to the Roman Catholic claim about Scripture and its authority rooted in the Church is to ask the question, do the prophets and the apostles themselves point us to Scripture? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if, if anybody had the authority to simply establish teaching just by their own kind of fiat, just by their own word or their own utterance, and it would have been people like Jesus, God himself in human flesh, or it would have been people to whom Jesus gave his authority like the apostles. And yet what do we find when we look at the, the ministry of the apostles? Well, you look at places like Acts chapter 17, where the apostle comes into a new region and he's preaching and he's teaching. And we're told that those in Berea, this region that he was at, were more noble-minded than those who were Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness. So they listened to what Paul had to say. But they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. In other words, they took what Paul was teaching and preaching and they tested it by the Holy Scriptures to make sure that what Paul was saying matched up with what God had already revealed in the prophetic word. And Luke actually calls them noble-minded for doing that kind of thing. So we're never told simply to believe someone based upon their office, but instead we're told ultimately to listen to them insofar as they bring the word of God to us. And the standard for that is to the law and to the testimony, to the written word. When the church makes this claim, or the Roman Catholic Church makes this claim, Historically, what has this allowed the church to teach? Anything and everything that they want to, Todd. <laughs> so everything from, you know, demanding that you follow certain feasts or certain fasts upon pain of damnation, 
observing all kinds of different rituals and ordinances, and ultimately the very thing that causes the Protestant Reformation, or at least acts as the spark which sort of unites that keg, which is this teaching regarding indulgences. The idea that if you give a donation to the church, that they can dispense to you the forgiveness of temporal punishments due to sin so that you can just bypass or skip purgatory and get right into heaven. But where do we find any of those teachings in Scripture? And the answer is, we don't. The church rests almost entirely and completely upon their own authority and their own word, completely therefore bypassing the words of the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New. Other than just kind of these deviations that have happened historically, has it touched upon or threatened the gospel itself, these teachings that have been promulgated on the church's authority rather than scripture's authority. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that especially at places like the Council of Trent in the 16th century, which is responding to Protestantism in general, but Lutheranism in particular, and they actually anathematize the gospel. So they'll say things like, if anyone says that they're justified by faith alone, uh, apart from works, let him be anathema. Well, that's precisely what the scriptures teach. That's precisely the teaching of the apostles themselves. And because it was the teaching of the scriptures and the teaching of the apostles, it therefore became the teaching of Luther and those who followed him. So to anathematize what it was that Luther was maintaining on the basis of the scriptures is to kind of anathematize the apostles and the apostolic word and therefore the scriptures themselves. So the idea here ultimately is that the Catholics were teaching that you had to be filled with God's charity or filled with God's love, and that moved you toward doing good works which would merit salvation. And it was that idea, among others, that Luther challenged on the basis of the Holy Scriptures, which say, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Has it also led to a low view of Scripture practically speaking, in Roman Catholic theology. Yeah, I think it really has. I mean, there are stories that the Reformers themselves talk about, which I think we can resonate to a certain extent with in our day. Rome has this doctrine of what they call fides implicita, or implicita, which is an, an implicit faith. And the idea is, I believe what the scriptures teach because I believe whatever the church says. And so then we ask the question, well, what does the church say? And they say, well, the church says what the scriptures say. And then you say, well, what do the scriptures say? And they say, well, the scriptures say what the church says. So you get into kind of this vicious circle of a person really not even knowing what either the scriptures or the church has to say, but they don't worry too much about it because they simply just think, well, the authority of the church is kind of going to work its way out. However, when we look at the way in which Scripture is depicted for us in the pages of Scripture itself, it becomes the lifeline for the believer because it's the Word of God that teaches us what to believe and teach and confess, but it's also that Word of God which brings to us Jesus Christ in all of his saving mercy. So that getting that message right becomes a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. This is why the Reformers so insisted upon this fact, not simply because they wanted to have all of their theological I's dotted and T's crossed, but because they understood that the gospel was at stake. And when the gospel is at stake, we have to have a sure and certain authority. And there is no authority that is more sure and more certain than God who speaks in the pages of Holy Scripture. Is there a danger in Scripture alone of 
a low view of the church. That is the ancillary or the auxiliary authority that the church does exercise. Can we overreact on the other side? I wish that I could say no, but I think we both know that the answer, unfortunately, is yes. So what we need to keep in mind is that when the Reformers taught this doctrine of sola scriptura, what they were intending to do is to say that the scriptures are the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the church or the only infallible authority for the Christian. But they weren't intending to say that the scriptures are the only authority in general. So the reformers were more than happy to receive the writings of the church fathers and to use them when they agreed with scripture. They were more than happy to receive the canons and decrees of the councils and to affirm them when they agreed with scripture. They were more than happy to submit to the authority of the church when the church brought the word of truth in accordance with the Holy Scriptures. Many people tend to think of the church as having no authority whatsoever, and that you can just toss away creeds and catechisms and confessions and councils, and we don't need to worry about what Augustine said or any of the other great fathers of the church. And what the Reformer said is, no, we're doing away with a tremendous treasure if we take that particular approach to things. We need to maintain a careful balance and a careful distinction between the inspired Word of God on one hand, but we need to thank God and also reverently make use of the works that have come down to us from antiquity, which always are pointing us back to Scripture and binding us to the voice which sound forth there, which is the voice of our Good Shepherd Christ. Dr. Stephen Parks is Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Concordia University, Irvine, California. Dr. Parks, thank you very much for your time. Such a blessing. Thank you, Todd. When we come back in Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Tuesday afternoon, we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road, Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org.